If you would please turn with me to uh, the book of Ephesians, we're in the first chapter. A few weeks ago, we we looked at some of the um, the background information, the context of Ephesians, and I will review that just very briefly this evening. It's been some time since we last looked at it, and then we looked at the first couple verses as well. Um, so, with God's help, I'd like to at least get down to verse three. I know it doesn't seem like a whole bunch, but uh, verse three is is an incredible verse that I would like to um, look at and uh, dissect a little bit. And I, I think you'll agree with me as we go through it that um, at first glance we could read this verse and um, perhaps even skip over it when we think we, we read these words and we think to ourselves, okay, yep, I got that. Um, it's a lot deeper than, than I first uh, imagined it would be. But uh, for the sake of... Um, reading and and context. Let's go, we'll read the first 14 verses of uh, chapter 1 in Ephesians. So beginning at verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will." To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself." that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ." in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So as we spoke about, um, briefly I'd like to just uh, recap uh, some of the context, some of the uh, what we talked about last time. But Ephesians was written um, in around A.D. 60. And at the time I told you, and I, and I have to correct myself, that it had been about 60 years 
since uh, Christ had died and resurrected. In fact, it hadn't been to 60 years. It was closer to the neighborhood of 30 years, which even makes the point of, of that 30 years, that time, even more significant because the church, as Paul was addressing them, would have been that much closer to the event that completely changed the history of mankind, and, and it was a complete paradigm shift in the world. And so Paul needed to address the the uh, Gentiles and the, and the church um, who would have been at that time really probably struggling. I'm going to guess that they were struggling, trying to figure out what was happening here. How do I handle the hostility of the Jews um, who were going to fight against this this um, this cult or this sect of, of people who were following this rabbi named Jesus and calling him the Messiah and having taken their most sacred feast, that of the Passover, and now had changed it. And so, you know, this was the kind of the climate that they were dealing with at that time, a time of, of great um, uh, turmoil or change. So 30 years out, that's not that long. And now for some of you younger ones, you think, oh, 30 years, that's forever. No, it's not, actually. Uh, 30 years is not that long. And 30 years ago, I remember things very well that happened 30 years ago. And, and so 30 years in, in, in the, the context of this absolute massive change in this world is not long at all. And so it, it makes complete sense, in, in my mind anyways, that Paul would still need to uh, address the churches um, to help them navigate through this time, to give them that confidence that they needed to know uh, where they stood in Christ. So the, the letter is uh, addressed to Ephesians, this particular letter, but it's uh, if you uh, there's some verses in here that would give us reason to believe that this was not just uh, intended for the Ephesians, but rather that this perhaps was a circular letter that would have been uh, sent to other churches as well. It's very similar to uh, some parts of Colossians. And, and so there's thought that this letter would have gone to uh, many of the uh, churches in minor Asia, um, which would have uh, been part of Paul's missionary journey and so on. So these would have been young churches that would be uh, dealing with this this new idea, this this new um, uh, hope that they could have, this new and living way. And, and so the the letter uh, that we have here is the one that was actually given to the Ephesian church. But again, it, it's it's very possible that this was a letter that was given to all of the the, the churches. As we will see as we go further along, Paul highlights the Gentiles. This was a great mystery that is spoken of, that the Gentile nations would be brought into uh, the commonwealth, it says, of Israel, with Israel. And although it's, uh, the, the letter addresses the Gentiles very often, um, the letter is to the church, not just to the Gentiles, but to those who are in Christ, to those who have embraced um, the uh, the belief in, in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, who have expressed faith in him and who have uh, embraced this new and living way. And so the letter is addressed to the church. And we'll see, and that's a very important point, uh, because if we don't have that context or that uh, that 
that point in our minds, it's easy to misinterpret some of what's being said here. Paul says in the first verse, um, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. So here we see that Paul is marrying these two points together because the, the, the general theme, the central theme of Ephesians is unity in Christ. Um, so Paul is marrying these two uh, ideas together. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. God would have been who the, the Jews would worship, not Jesus Christ. And so the Jewish people, in, uh, Paul would be appealing to the to the Jews who are, are part of, of this church as well, that, that have um, given their life and, and, and put their trust in Christ, and uh, pointing out that th- these two, Jesus and the Lord and God, are, are one, and uh, that they are together. And he, this is written to the saints, which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. That one of the other uh, central themes of, of Ephesians we're going to see is also Christ and the the value or the the truth of being in Christ. This is something that Paul very much dwells upon. That idea of being in Christ, and we're going to speak tonight about that as well as we look at verse three. And then again in in verse two it says, "Grace be to you and peace from God our Father." So again, taking this idea of grace, which is. Uh, um, the greeting for uh, the uh, the Greek people and and for those who are the the Gentiles and then peace from God our Father, which would have been uh, how the Jews would have typically uh, uh, greeted one another. Shalom for, from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus. Okay, so here we have now uh, Paul needing to write needing to address the church, needing to uh, help them understand and to navigate and have the confidence in who they are in Christ. And so when Paul thinks, I'm going to address the church here, I want to, I want to give them what they need, I want to help them as, as they, in the infancy of the church, what does he first do? He starts with praise. We have a doxology here, or it's speaking the glory of God. Uh, it's, it's Christian worship. We sing many uh, hymns, and, and uh, this would be almost like a hymn that Paul starts out with. And Paul starts by praising the Lord, by praising Him, but not just um, empty praise, as, as, as sometimes we can see this out there. Praise can be very empty. And uh, one of the criticisms I would have of, of common worship music is that it's very light and fluffy. Uh, it's, it's very um, without substance almost. And what I mean by that is that it oftentimes will, will speak the word praise, but it doesn't put substance to it. Praise and gratitude, when we express these, they should always be followed with an explanation or with uh, substance to it. We praise God. Why do we praise God? We thank God. Why do we thank God? So Paul begins uh, in verse 3 as the first, uh, in a sense, the first thing he wants to say to the churches is praise to God. And then he elaborates on why he praises God. And as we go through this, we're going to see that this is very critical. This is a, a very, very meaty first portion of, of Scripture um, 
of this letter because this is so essential that the uh, the Ephesian church, that all of the churches, the new young church, knows these things. That they praise God for what He has done, and that in their hearts they they can have that confidence that uh, what God has done applies to them. That they can have this confidence and have this knowledge, which is so important for them. And so Paul starts here by, with this doxology, with this hymn of praise, with elaborating on why God is to be praised. So we start in verse 3 with, blessed be the God and Father. The word blessed, and we're going to encounter this word three times in the, in, in English, blessed, but it's not the same word in any of those times. So this is the first time we come across the word blessed. And this is, uh, in Greek, it's eulogatos. And that means to be praised. Praise be to God. And, and so then, uh, this is a term that is, is, is used in the New Testament only to God. Praise be to God. Uh, praise be to the Father. Um, and here we see that uh, Paul is, is uh, praising God, lifting him up, glorifying his name. And he's adding something in here that is only uh, uh, in the New Testament and very particular to the church. And it's uh, this phrase, and blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that is only, is very particular to the New Testament writings because it only has bearing or meaning in the New Testament. It has only become apparent now at this time that that God being the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is very significant. Why? Because it's only in the Lord Jesus Christ that the church has its being and meaning. And so here again, Paul, in in this idea of of, of wanting to uh, highlight unity, oneness of the body, the church being one, he again brings in together the the two. So the Jewish, uh, blessed be the God, so they would always be looking to Yahweh, uh, to Jehovah, right? So here he addresses God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He brings in the the new reality uh, of the church, which is built on Jesus Christ. And so this this first opening uh, phrase here, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is already, again, building this idea, and we're going to see this often, but building this idea that the two have become one, that no longer do the Jews worship in their way, and that the Gentiles are going to worship in their way. It's together, always. The oneness, the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed, again we hear this, or see this word blessed, but not the same word as in the first word. This word is eulageo. Uh, and this is what we would typically think of uh, if, if we say to ourselves, oh I feel so blessed. Um, or, or to be blessed by somebody this is probably how we would uh, think of this word, to be blessed. It means to cause, to prosper, to make happy. So here we have uh, Paul praising God, who hath blessed, recognizing that he has blessed. That God the Father, in Jesus Christ, has blessed, wants to bless his people. He wants to cause them to proper, prosper. He wants to cause them to, or to make them happy. 
So this is the second time we see blessed, eulageo. And it says, he hath, who hath blessed us, being the church, being the saints, with all spiritual blessings. So let's look at these words here, all. Not all in the sense of the entirety of everything, but all in the sense of blessings of every kind. He has blessed us with blessings of every kind. But spiritual blessings, not just blessings of every kind in the sense of uh, material blessings and, and, and blessings of, uh, you know, friendships, relationships perhaps, or of all types of blessings of every kind of the spiritual nature. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. So the spiritual is in reference to things emanating from the divine spirit or exhibiting its effect or exhibiting its effect and so its character. So these spiritual blessings are not, like I said, things that are perhaps material, things that we experience in our daily lives and between inter-relationships and so on. But these are spiritual blessings, things that come from the divine spirit. And we're going to see this list that Paul, as we already read this up into verse 14, there's a list of these spiritual blessings that Paul's going to talk about. And this... The blessings that we, we read about are uh, being chosen, election. The spiritual blessing of being chosen, being elected by God. The spiritual blessing of adoption. The spiritual blessing of God's grace. The spiritual blessing of forgiveness. The, the blessing of revelation. The blessing of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. The word. And the blessing of the Holy Spirit. These are the blessings that Paul is, is praising God for. This is not empty praise. Paul is, is, is laying out for the, the, the church here what it is that we need to recognize comes from God. The one who gives us, the one who blesses us with all spiritual blessings, with blessings of every kind. Not just blessings uh, of, of the salvation, uh, but blessings of, of guidance, blessings of uh, the truth, blessings of the Spirit. So he, we, he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And so we come against across this word again, blessings, but this is again a third time that we see it, but it's a third uh, rendering of it. And this one in Greek is uh, eulogia, which means a concrete blessing or a benefit. So here we had the first blessing, which is blessed be the God, which is praise, praising God, blessing God. The second blessing means to, uh, is what God gives us to cause us to prosper. This, the intent is to cause us to prosper, to make happy. But, uh, the four, or the third one here is all spiritual blessings, eulagia, which means a concrete blessing. So what is a concrete blessing? Now, if we think about the word concrete, many of us in our context, in our day, no concrete to be this hard substance. Um, we don't imagine that uh, breaking through concrete is easy. None of us would uh, endeavor to or, or want to bang our heads against concrete. Why? Because we know that it's solid. We know that it's uh, very, very difficult to break. It's very um, bound together. 
tomorrow on, on the job site that I'm at, we have to pour concrete. And now the beauty of concrete is that you take a whole bunch of particles, separate particles, and you mix them all together, and their reaction together as it, it, it heats up and it, 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 it begins to dry and it expels the water, it becomes extremely hard. And yet, it starts out almost like a fluid. And that's the beauty of concrete is when we apply it, it, it it's applied in, in a, a, a liquid form and it can get into all the nooks and crannies of the places that it has to go. And then when it binds together, it is solid and it makes something that you can build upon. Something that uh, a foundation can be set upon. And so when it comes to concrete blessings, we've already spoken of the different blessings that God has given us. The, the blessings, like I said, of, of, of election, adoption, redemption, uh, the Holy Spirit, and all of these things coming together Binding together, the bringing together uh, a coalition of separate particles all in one body. And this is what God has blessed the church with. God has blessed the church with, with not just a, a, a mono focus, a singular focus of, of one, one uh, benefit, but so many different benefits. So it benefits all these different kinds that come together to build the church. To equip us to have a solid foundation for uh, uh, living our lives and, and for being the church, being the hands and feet of the Lord, being that uh, dedicated and, and, and sacred vessel for the, the Lord's use. This is the, the blessings, the spiritual blessings, all the spiritual blessings that God has given us. All of these separate things coming together. So that as they come together, they make one unified body. And the church then can become complete. And the church is solid. And the church is lacking in nothing. It's united in the solid form. So here we have this, this praise of God who causes us to prosper by giving us all of these separate particles that become one and become solid and become, become foundational and, and equipping to the church. So this is the first part of, of this, uh, this verse here. But then it says here, these blessings in heavenly places. So what does it mean that these blessings are in heavenly places? Heavenly places, the, the word here in the Greek would mean the heavenly regions. Heaven itself and the abode of God and angels. So this is not the heaven in the future sense. In that um, uh, we will all receive this, these blessings. The, these blessings that the, uh, God is giving us, all these spiritual blessings, we're going to receive them once we get to heaven. And once we're in heaven, then we're going to have all of these blessings. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is that in the heavenly places, where is Christ right now? 
If you would have been in, in a, a Bible class a few weeks back, we were talking about in, in Revelation 4 and 5, and, and we looked into the throne room uh, as John was describing it. As John in the spirit was taken up and he looks at the throne room and uh, he sees the one who sits on the throne. And, and then he has this encounter with uh, the, the individual who uh, asks, who is worthy to open up the seal? Or the scrolls. And, and, and so we see this whole interaction happening there of, of, uh, God holding in his right hand the, the scroll, the book. And, uh, I, I believe, I can't remember if it was an elder or an angel asking who is worthy, calling out who is worthy to open the, uh, the seals of the book. And, and none was found worthy. And, and do you remember this, right? And then, uh, then John turns and looks as it was announced that uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is worthy. And, and so then John turns to look and, and who does he see? But he sees one as a uh, who looks as if he was slain, has still the scars on his hands and his feet and his side. The lamb who it says the little lamb who uh, looked as if he was slain. And there he sees the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus, we see him in the heavenly places. And so when we think about this, uh, the heavenly places here, the heavenly places are not heaven, the, the final, the new Jerusalem, but the heavenly places are where God interacts, where God is in control, where God is uh, sitting on the throne, and where Christ is sitting on the throne. And as it says also in Revelation, where the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ... This is the place where these blessings have been received by us. This is the place where God has decreed, and we'll see in the next verse, that God has decreed before the foundations of the world that the church would be chosen to be holy and blameless. It is there in heaven. Here, you don't see that the, the effects of that here. You don't see the reality of the fact that we as the church, the ones who are in Christ, are the chosen of God. The only, you see some of the effects of that. These spiritual blessings, um, we see, uh, as it says here when I was uh, reading the, the definition for spiritual, or exhibiting its effects, we see the effects of what's actually happening in heaven. That God has decreed that you, my church, in Christ Jesus are the chosen ones. You are the ones whom I have adopted. You are the ones whom I have redeemed. And that is true in heaven. Even though it may not seem true here. Even though maybe here in this world we feel as those who are part of the body of Christ like uh, we're going down. There's nothing special about us. Maybe we feel like we're failing. Maybe it feels like uh, we're just miserably representing the Lord. The reality may not be lived out in this world in the sense or, or may not be recognized by this world. The reality that the church is the, is the bride of Christ probably means nothing outside of these walls to the world. But in heavenly places, where it really matters, people, where truth is lived out, not in this world of deception and darkness and lies, but in the place where it really matters, where God is sitting on the throne, in heavenly places we have been blessed. We have been chosen, we have been adopted, we have been redeemed. We have the truth and all of these other things. This is where we have been received these blessings. This is where it really, really matters. 
And this is the beauty of this verse. It's saying, in heavenly places. And so, you know, perhaps if, if we come up, uh, into this place of, in our lives where we, we're just down on everything or, or we're just, we're really losing hope or, or we're, we're feeling like the church is losing. And oftentimes I, I, I get that sense. I, I get that sense that, uh, the church is, is maybe really has suffered loss. And you, you know, go on Barna Research uh, website and, and look at the statistics there of, of church uh, membership and church uh, um, continuity and, and so on. And it's terribly uh, depressing at times. We're losing our youth, and, and 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 it could almost cause us to wonder: Is, is the church really? Uh, what are we doing? Um, are, are we failing? Are, are, is it really, you know, what it, is it really that special, perhaps? Do we have what it takes? Do we have that solid foundation that we need? We have to remember this great truth that Paul begins his letter with, that we have he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, where it matters, where it is established and can never be altered. And no matter how Satan would rage, no matter how Satan would uh, spew hatred and, 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 and be determined to defeat the church, we are chosen of God. We have been adopted by God. We have been redeemed by God. And that stands in heaven and nothing can shake that. And that is the blessing that is solid that we can hold on to. And then finally it says after this, in Christ. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. The smallest word that we're going to deal with today is probably the biggest word that I've wrestled with. Because it's this word, in Christ, in, specifically, this phrase is en gestos, in Christ. This is massive. And and Paul spends his whole letter uh, dealing, in a sense, with this subject. Laying out, what does it mean to be in Christ? What is the real foundation of the church? It's that we are in Christ. So I want to look at this word here. I'm going to spend the rest of the time looking at this, this word in. In Christ. So the word in, um, it's a primary preposition denoting position. So it's really, it's, 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 uh, denoting our position in, right? Well, so we kind of get that. Like if I'm in my car, I'm, I'm positioned inside the structure of my vehicle. That's what it means to be in my car. So we get that part about being the position, right? In. So we are in Christ. We are positioned in Christ. Well, that's, it's not like a car. Okay, that's a very simplified thing. What does it mean, though, to be in Christ? It also not only means position, but also instrumentality. So the, the thing by which God uh, works through or he uh, uh, um, makes things happen. So let's look first of all at the position. So this is more than just being in this particular position. So it's, for instance, you can be in a church 
We can be in a church, right? We can be in a church, but we can only, we can also be in a church, like just really occupying space. We've displaced some uh, amount of oxygen and air, and now here we sit. Are we in a church? Sure, we're in a church. Are we really in a church? Well, it depends on what you, what you think being in a church really means. Are you engaged in the church? Are you caring about the church? Do you uh, feel like you are part of this church? Does the church uh, have a claim upon you? That's a much different idea of what it means to be in the church. So being in is is uh, of that in which any person or thing is inherently fixed, implanted, or with which it is intimately connected. So in means more than just a position. It means there's a deeper connection here. We want people to be in the church, but not just, you know, in a seat. We want people to be part of a church, intimately connected with the church. So if we look at the Greek word in the, the concordance, it speaks of a person to whom another is wholly joined. So in this case, uh, Christ to whom a believer is wholly joined and to whose power and influence the believer is subject. So being in Christ means more than just uh, finding yourself in a, in a way identifying uh, like, yeah, I'm a Christian. How many people do we know that say I'm a Christian? And so in a sense they say, yeah, I'm in Christ, but nothing in their life shows that they are uh, uh, connected or influenced. Wholly joined and to whose power and influence the believer is subject, so that the former, so that Christ, may be likened to the place in which the believer lives and moves. So there's this intimate connection. There's this submission to the influence of Christ, so that it becomes almost as if people say, oh, that person is in Jesus, he is in Christ. And then when Christ moves, that person moves. When Christ um, uh, exerts influence, that other person submits. That believer submits. And, and so this idea that um, in Christ means that I am uh, so wholly connected to who Christ is and what He his claims on my life, that I become... Almost as if I have lost, I'm, I'm not even my own individual person. I've just been absu- uh, 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 absorbed into who Christ is. Now that's an interesting thing. Think about that. Think about that as you live your life and you, you, you move about in your daily life and think to yourself, okay, is, uh, you know, I know the scripture speaks of this, um, especially of the spirit, but like if I was doing something, would Christ be doing this? That's a question we always have to ask. Like, what you know, there's uh, WWJD. What would no? What would Jesus do? Yeah, um, there's this uh, acronym that was very popular a while back, and people would ask themselves this question: What would Jesus do? And imagine him as a person, as we read in the scriptures, living the life that he lived. That we read in the scriptures. Would Jesus? Think to go into this place. Would Jesus think to respond to this comment in this way? And that's in a sense how we have to uh, consider um, uh, what it means to be in Christ. 
So there's this idea of the position that we have, that we are so wholly joined and uh, to Christ and to whose power and influence we have subjected ourselves. So essentially, we disappear. And when people look at us, it's almost as if they're looking at Christ. That's what it means, in one sense, to be in Christ. Ingrafted as it were, in Christ, in fellowship and union with Christ and with the Lord. There's another uh, um, facet of being in Christ, and that speaks of the instrument or means by with which anything is accomplished. Um, so we, going by that, like the instrumentality of being in Christ, it would be something we would say things like, by means of, so in the next verse, we're going to see probably where this this um, meaning of being in Christ uh, is really applied. Or through, by him, or through him, is another way of considering that word in Christ. So Paul um, really is, is want, hammers home this point. This is one of those central themes to Ephesians, of the idea of being in Christ. Because being in Christ is what... Um, really distinguishes us from the world. It is the basis by which we consider ourselves to be part of the church. It is the basis upon which, uh, from the, before the foundation of time, God chose us and adopted us and redeemed us and, and gives his spirit and, and gives the gospel the truth. And it's the calling on our lives is to be in Christ. So as we go through the book of Ephesians, by God's grace, we will come to understand, hopefully, more and more what it means to be in Christ and how important that is. And what does that mean in practical terms for us as believers to be in Christ, to be holy, to be blameless, to be living as his children. So with God's grace, we uh, Sunday morning, we'll continue uh, the next few verses. Uh, we'll look at... The next verse, uh, the spiritual blessing of being chosen, and as well try and look at the spiritual blessing of adoption. So until then, may the Lord bless you and uh, give you uh, the confidence that comes from knowing that we have been blessed with these spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And that's where it really matters. Amen.